Think about this one. This one thing that's come through for me relevant to today's show is the reference uh, the public protector, Tuli Morancella, made about the media, starting from the Mail and Guardian to the City Press and, and really talking about that watchdog role and, uh, and the fact that the media effectively were persistent and stuck with its claims and ensured that that particular story was uh, kept in the public eye and therefore there were actual complaints around uh, in Kandla over the last couple of years. So think about this one. This is what we're talking about. I know often we get people who uh, praise the media on it and some are scathing in their criticism. So... Let me ask this rather provocative question. Media, friend or enemy of the state, what are your thoughts about that? And has that opinion, whatever that opinion is, has it changed in the light um, of the Inkandla report? So I've got three guests. We're going to start with um, Philip DeVat, who's the associate editor at the Mail and Guardian. Philip, good chatting to you. Hi. Morning, Ashraf. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. So let, let's talk about this. Mail and Guardian, I mean, as, as, as a particular reference point, I mean, it's, this this is a, is a huge endorsement for for the newspaper, isn't it? Well, absolutely, and and of good journalism. Keep in mind that when the Mail and Guardian first broke the Encanto story in two thousand nine, it was almost by accident. Uh, our our team kind of stumbled on the in progress uh, while not looking for it. There, it was no tip off. There was no information that something strange was happening there. Underlying that, the, the, the reason that team was there was to go and see what was going on. Uh, we had a president who was from quite a rural, uh, traditional background um, with the main guy and felt we needed to know how he lived, uh, what the impact of him becoming president would be on the rural area that he came from. So there was good journalism there, and then we happened to get lucky. Um, as the story progressed, of course, the, the Mail and Guardian stuck with it, as did especially the City Press and the Sunday Times. And again, to a certain extent, we got lucky, and Kandla was a, an easy story to follow. You know, there's a, a house that you can point to. There's a direct relationship with the president. There's not the complications that you have when, when you're talking about an arms deal or a uh, construction cartel. Um, but as, as easy as it was, um, we had a couple of media institutions that stuck with the story that simply would not let go of it. And I think the public protector was simply acknowledging that that was really what allowed her to do the work that she did. Well, in, in, in acknowledging the role of the media, the public protector is in fact suggesting that the media is the public protector, isn't it? This is the system working the way it should be. What what happened here is what we so often talk about in theory and so rarely see in the media. Uh, the media raised an issue. We, we uncovered the information. We pointed to some of the problems that were perhaps evident, um, but that would not have been in the public domain without uh, these newspapers doing their work. At that point, other systems and structures kicked into place. Uh, People in, in the public sphere and opposition politicians were outraged. They went to a Chapter 9 institution and said, we think there's something here that you should look at. That Chapter 9 institution ended up doing battle with the state in order to, to uncover at least a portion of the truth. That was then put back out into the public domain where hopefully voters can use that um, when, when time comes to cast their ballot. So this is, this is surely how the system is supposed to work. Okay, but uh, it's not always perceived as uh, just that. We'll chat to Professor Anton Harbour in a few minutes' time. Let me bring in Raymond Lowe, who's the SENAF, 
Deputy Media Freedom Chair. Raymond, good chatting to you once again. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Right, your, your thoughts in terms of, well, let me ask you this. Do you think, and of course you, you're in the media, but do you think media, perception of the media, has changed, will change in the light of the Inkanla report? Well, I think the media have always had the reputation of being the watchdog of what goes on in the um, in government and in the public sphere. So I don't think that perception will change. Um, but what will what will ch- possibly change is in a greater appreciation of what the media has done and how and and, and how it has done it. And uh, and that that certainly will be something. Um, which is to the credit of the media. I noticed, for instance, that the public protector singled out the Mail and Guardian, Guardian particularly for praise for what they had done in 2009 in uncovering the, the start of the Inkanda scandal. Yes, indeed. And Philip, I'm, I'm, just let me bring in on that one there. I mean, you made the point about sort of stumbling upon it, but I mean, that's what all good journalists do, look for opportunities when, when they see it, right? But... Keeping in mind who we're referring to, we're talking about in Kanla, we're talking about the president of the country, and, and we know that, that often you get public figures who are also scathing in their criticism of the media as, as having so many agendas and double agendas. How difficult is it to a follow through on the story, but also ensure that your, your readers or your listeners believe that, uh, that your story is true and accurate the way you see it? I can't say that the Encandla story was that different from from many other stories in a number of senses. For one, um, as be useful over the years, the Mail and Guardian and many others had trouble getting information out of the state. Uh, we would ask questions of government departments. We would simply be taken away. We would simply be ignored. Now you'd say, ah, well, this is proof that the state was trying to protect the president or, or trying to cover up what was happening at Encandla. Sadly, that is often the case. More often than not, if, if you're looking for comment from a government department, if you're putting um, allegations to a government department, that is what is going to happen. Um, so in many senses, the Encandla story was was similar to the kind of work that we do on a regular basis. Um, on the other hand, it was relatively easy for us, and I think for other newspapers as well, to dedicate resources to Nkandla. Again, when you're talking about a multi-billion rand arms deal, a scandal that has run over many years, you deal with cases where you're trying to point out that individual A received money from individual B, that was then paid to shell company C, that went to Mauritius, and then it went to Switzerland, and then it came back into the country, and we think maybe, perhaps, you know, it ended up in someone's pocket. Um, it's, it's very hard as, as a newspaper to say, well, this is a fantastic story. We can definitely throw 10 or 12 reporters at this and dedicate them over several months. When you're dealing with a house on a hill of which you can take a picture and you can say, this is what the president's house looked like before, this is what it looked like now, our information indicates that there might be something fishy here. You know, that, that becomes a much easier story. Right. Some some comments we've had, I'll pick out some of the SMSs to, in fact, someone saying media is both friend and foe of the state, depending on the balance of uh, eco-social political power that comes from Freddie. There's some more I'll look at. Um, I want to just pick out some others, in, including via Twitter. There's some interesting ones. Um, well, Canton Palais saying, it's a stupid question. The media is neither. Their relationship should be armed truce. But, I, I mean, uh, Raymond, do you, th- you think that's true? You know, armed yes, of course, it's a provocative question. Well, hardly question. an armed <laughs> situation. 
but certainly a lot of tension between the media and the state because the state inherently, as Philip has described, uh, tries to keep information secret and, and, the, and the media's job is, in fact, to uncover it. Now, this in Kandler, uh exposure, exposure uh, what, it comes after a long line of exposures by, exposures by, by newspapers um, it's in South Africa and elsewhere. Um, I'm thinking of Watergate, uh, Muldergate, uh, and so on. Um, and uh, that, that is the role of the media. The media is there to, to tell the public what's going on. And, of course, it can only operate in that way in a democracy. Mm, okay. Mm. Happy to get a couple of calls if you wish to join the conversation on air. Just quick calls, 0891104207. Broadly, we're talking about whether the media is, in fact, the friend or the or the enemy of the state, and, and whatever your views are on that, has that changed in the last week, in the last few days, uh, in the light of uh, the, the, the compliments, really, from the public protector, Tuli Maransela, when she released the uh, Inkandla report a few days ago. Now, Philip, there's a, a comment from someone by the name of Riachile, who's saying generally the media is pro-capital and against the workers. We seldom hear of corruption done by private companies. Now, now, to what extent is that, is that true? Because we, we do get that perception. I certainly pick it up when hosting talk shows that people feel media has got, yes, they will sometimes uh, expose a story because it's convenient to them for their own agenda, whatever, whatever that agenda may be. It would be a lot more convenient for us to expose more private capital corruption, I suspect. Um, you know, when you're talking about something like bread price fixing, um, that's a story that really has legs. So if you if you fall into the trap of seeing the media as purely commercial organizations that are just out there to, in our case, sell newspapers, um, then I think we would prefer a uh, bread price fixing story over yet another story of corruption in some government department that ultimately no one really cares about. You know, we, we suffer serious problems, corruption fatigue and scandal fatigue when it comes to the government. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, that government is a, is a large and sprawling organization. It is the largest single customer in the country. It does more business than anyone else. Um, so by that token uh, alone, there's, there's more money and, and more corruption that goes through the system. It's also one where there are more individuals with access to grind. The, the nice thing about government departments is you always have, you know, in, in, in a large-sized government department, you always have someone who's angry at the boss or someone who doesn't uh, really sit around the same fire as the DG or someone who supports the opposition. So you tend to see more leaks coming out of government departments. Um, in that sense, it's, it's slightly easier again. Um, ultimately, I guess we, we do perhaps focus more on the state than we do on private capital, and it's something that we quite often discuss um, and try to evaluate and see if it's a problem. But, you know, personally, when you're dealing with taxpayers' money, when, when you're dealing with state money and, and you're wasting that, there's a more direct line of responsibility, mm-hmm. um, including for us as the media, and it is not something that we can look away from. It's not like we can say, well, we need to do you know, one private corruption story for every story of state corruption. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I mean, private could well just be seen as that private, that's somebody else's business, uh, as opposed to uh, the money that ultimately belongs to the citizens of the country. I'll get to John and Ethan in just a second. Uh, Mel in Trombella saying, well, I've stopped buying newspapers because, they, because their focus is on government corruption only and they neglect corporate corruption uh, and then suggesting there's bias there. Right, some calls. John, let's get your views. Hi. Yeah, uh, th- thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Go ahead. Call. Uh, the 
problem is uh, how does the media carry it over from the urban areas to the rural areas? And then the other issue is the masculine issue. How does women and children understand how the media put stories in the world or in the community itself? And that is a bit tricky. But, but how do you explain that in terms of the role of the media in terms of exposing, uh, you know, corruption as, as they see it, as we've, as we've just seen and heard now regarding in Kandla, for example? Yeah, yeah, we can go to the ownership of the media. If the media go on and expose whatever in the world or in that area, whatever, what will happen to that journalist or that media company? It will probably be closed down. Either it won't get ink to print or paper, whatever. That, uh, that's the whole problem. Okay. Who's the ownership? Ownership is an important issue. Yeah. Thanks for that one. John, we'll get to your other comments in just a second. Well, maybe maybe you can comment on that one, Raymond Lowe. You see, ownership of the media. It's another discussion, and we'll, we'll talk about it in detail some other time as well. But but is it true that that the, the journalists are the cadres, but the bosses who sit in their offices who effectively own the media will set an agenda, and, and often the agenda would be to target certain organs of state or certain individuals for whatever reasons they have? Well, <clears throat> apart from the latest... Um, events at the independent newspaper group where the new owner has started to try and suggest how the newspapers should cover stories. Uh, normally, the ownership does not interfere. In fact, I, I was an editor for 11 years and I never received one instruction from the ownership of the publication, the Rand Daily Mail. And I think that's the experience of a great many other editors as well. Um, so the the owner doesn't say you do this or you do that. You you you're engaged as an editor or you're engaged as a journalist to carry out your professional functions of gathering the news, finding out what's going on, and if that incorporates uh, corruption, maladministration, abuse of power, etc., uh, that that is what you will do. Um, in, in in regard, incidentally, to the, the discrepancy between uncovering state corruption. And, and, and private corruption, uh, number one, private corruption tends to be a lot more sophisticated than state corruption. State corruption is frequently a bumbling exercise uh, that can be easily recognized. Um, there's there's no, no question that newspapers try to prevent uh, the uncovering of, of private corruption. The, the difficulty is, of course, getting hold of it, number one, and number two, the, the consequences of running a story about a private company's corrupt activities are, can be a lot more um, financially penalizing for the newspapers uh, than, than running, running a story about state corruption uh, because of the difficulties encountered in, in, in with dealing with, uh, with private corruption. I want to go back then just to, the, uh, to, to working the beat, Philip DeVat, Associate Editor at the Mail and Guardian. Let's talk about this just to give us an insight into, into the life of an investigative journalist. Once they come across, across a story, whether it's through a tip or just stumble across a story, how, how easy, how difficult is it to follow through, keeping in mind, it may not even be government, but there are interests uh, at play there who clearly don't want you to find out more. Well, absolutely. At, at least in the case of Nkandla, um, I see from this morning's headlines that there's some talk about the public protector uh, having feared for her life <coughs> in this case. 
you know, we have investigators who work on stories of gangsterism and people are running drugs and, and human trafficking and so on and so forth. And, and that's a whole other level of difficulty because they're looking at um, a group of people who don't care much for human life and would be very happy for these stories to go away and for whom often the shortest distance between making a story go away and the journalist is, is simply to snuff out that journalist. At least when you're dealing with something like in Kandla, uh, the, the possibility of that is, is much less. So there's, there's a layer of complexity that we don't have to worry about. At the same time, when it comes to Nkandla, one of the primary weapons used by Amma Magane, the MNG Center for Investigative Journalism here, was the Promotion of Access to Information Act. Um, you may remember that after the Nkandla story broke in 2009, it went very quiet for a while. There, there wasn't really new information that emerged. And it really came to the forefront again when the city press, based on leaked information, could say that the, the cost of the project had come to 200 million rand. In the meanwhile, however, the investigators at the Mail and Guardian had launched a promotional access to information request um, and simply stuck with it. It was denied. It was ignored. It ended up in court. In fact, it's still in court. There's still uh, some documents, we believe, that, that have not been provided. Um, and the process took forever. It cost enormous sums of money. But ultimately, it yielded what we call the Encandla files, those 12,000 pages of documents that was provided by the Department of Public Works and, and which we finally published. And that turned out to be pivotal in, in a number of ways. If you look at Tuli Manoncela's report, mm. she says that she ran into trouble where certain government departments were saying, well, no, Madam Public Protector, we cannot provide you with this information because it's top secret and, and you're not cleared for it. And she was in a position to say, well, actually, I can find it on the Internet because it's been published by the Mail and Guardian. You made it available to them. Uh, you know, so again, the, the, the two systems almost meshed there. But ultimately, it, it was simply determination on, on both sides that allowed it to come to fruition. Okay, some other comments. Uh, Bilk is saying, uh, Mediagate, let's say in a democracy, we want to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the naked truth. So... Help me, media. Okay, well, maybe well put there indeed. Uh, another saying, media friend or follower of the state, what a ridiculous notion. The media looks after its own interests. You see, that amazingly still comes through. And maybe it's something that I want to play on in the future as well to say, how does the media change or turn those perceptions around? Not suggesting anything's absolutely perfect around it. Let's get to some calls. Uh, we'll take three calls in one go. So quick, short, sharp calls. Most appreciated. Uh, Hassan in uh, Indonesia. Hi, Hassan. Hi. Uh you know, I think it's interesting that a lot of your callers have raised the problems of uh, how capital business is covered, and I really think you need to have a discussion on that. I think that Raymond raises the issue as if uh, he was never told, but partly there's a, a kind of coincidence of interest. You know, middle-class people have similar values, how the economy should be working, etc. You know, this prompted George Mambio to write that there's a need for a Hippocratic oath for journalists because, you know, I mean, I work with, with poor, uh, for, for the Benchmark Foundation. We work with poor mining communities. Sometimes we start a story with a journalist and the story dies after he, he or she gets a comment from the from the bosses. He doesn't even see the light of print. Okay, no so comes and, and a Hippocratic oath would take what, what form? Just well, roughly. basically, the first part of his Hippocratic oath, which he, which he proposed, was that our primary aim is to hold power to account. We'll prioritize the stories and issues which expose the interests of power. So even if you're doing politicians, for every corruptor, there's a corruptee. Look at both sides. Who's greasing these guys? But, you know, the guys don't do that. You know, partly also, look at Mail and Guardian as well as they do. 
They have serious limitations. They give greening awards for mining companies who's really destroying the homes of many people, lives of people, dirty water coming to their homes. So clearly, you know, we need to have a lo- more holistic picture at looking at what we celebrate, but partly is this coincidence of interests, you know, that we are middle class, we think everyone thinks like it, like us, you know. Okay, I've made a note of your suggestions. Thanks for that, uh, Hassan, in Indonesia, right? Uh, uh, Sigin Renberg, go for it. Hi. Hello. I, I wanted to congratulate the guys in your office, in your studio, for, for the massive triumph that this constitutes for for our primary law enforcement agency, which is which is a press that publicly lynches the scoundrels who are in charge of the nation. We lynch them wonderful for the media to be able to lynch these crooks uh, because they have um, ceased to, to, they have done away with law enforcement otherwise. The police is corrupt. The National Prosecuting Authority is corrupt. They even firing their honest prosecutors. And, and, and yes, the media are the only source of satisfaction for honest South Africans who, who, while all the crooks are being led away and, and guess what uh, the one biggest media supporter of all who, who was able to pro- virtually prosecute then um, uh, 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 the president uh, for his Nkandla corruption which is then in Tuli uh, uh, Tuli Maroncella she, she uh, is 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 is, is uh, has vindicated the, and she she did it with quoting uh, the media which was quoting the Mail and Guardian which led this, this well, well, well that's precisely why, why we're talking about this thanks so much for that uh, Sig right last call I can take now Faisal and Mayfair quick one hi hi Ashraf uh, Ashraf you know uh, my take on, this, on your question is that, my, uh, is that that the state doesn't represent the will of the people it always represents uh, the interests of, of a particular party and in, the, in that sense uh, you, uh, uh, the media will always be an enemy of the state and, 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 and that's the reason why you, you find that, uh, the, that, that the state will always try and control the media to suit the, the interests of that particular party. Okay, thanks for that uh, call. Uh, Raymond Lowe, should the media be always seen as the enemy of the state, meaning no, the watchdog? No, it's not the enemy of the state. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, if you regard the state as being the whole country, the enemy is in fact a great friend of the, of the country and therefore of the state. Uh, when you talk about government, uh, there is tension between the media and the government because the government sees things one way and the media uh, wants to know why they are seeing it that particular way and why, why, how they are carrying that out. And, and delves into into its operations because it is of importance to the state that the state should function properly. Okay, and that, that Hippocratic oath proposal, your thoughts on that? Well, I, I, I think the journalists, um, in a sense, take a, a silent um, uh, uh, oath of office in, when, they, when they start out as journalists, and that is to be independent, to pr- report professionally, and, and, and to do their job as thoroughly as possible. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's necessary for every reporter to, 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 make, to, to go in for a, a Hippocratic Oath. All right. Philip, Philip Devet, your, your thoughts on that, Hippocratic Oath? On, on the matter of the Hippocratic Oath, yeah. I, I really can't see that it would serve a purpose. You know, mm. um, the, the ethics that we deal with on a daily basis don't really boil themselves down to um, something as simple as first do no harm or, or keep power to account. Um, if you're a journalist in South Africa, you spend pretty much every day struggling with uh, very real ethical issues. Um, how do we bring the voices of children into reporting of sexual violence without victimizing them further? Um, how do we deal with, with very severe health issues? Um, you know, frankly, the, 
the, the issues of um, dealing with large companies or with the state are some of the easier ethical questions that, that we struggle with. Um, and I think it might actually be uh, a, a bit counterproductive to say, well, here's a very simple set of rules that, that you can follow. Unfortunately, the world is not that black and white. Indeed. Except that, of course, there is the press code which does lay out a set of ethical rules of how reporters should behave. Uh, but it doesn't say what stories they should go after. Right. Let, let, let's then wrap up very quickly, Raymond, just to look at uh, two things. Well, maybe specifically the, the issue around, again, Internet or, or in this case, well, Twitter blockage by the, the president of, of Turkey. Once again, looking at whether it's media or social media as a, as for, certainly for, for a leader, as a major threat when, when it's perceived that people are against that leader. Your thoughts on that? Well, I, I certainly think that the, the Turkish um, prime minister or president is living up to his reputation as being a, an authoritarian dictator or an attempted, attempted dictator uh, in, in, banning, in banning Twitter. Um, and and it, there's certainly no call for it, and I think that there will eventually be a way around it which will occur. Um, but uh, there's no there's no call for that type of action, and thank goodness this government doesn't seem to be um, getting into that mode of thought. Okay, Philip, your last thoughts again, social media as per Turkey and, and other countries? Oh, um, well, social media plays an extremely important role because it, in fact, has widened the scope of reportage from the, the professional journalist and the journalist who's engaged by a, a company. And that's, that has a limited number in terms of uh, the numbers of journalists in the country uh, compared to the public as a whole, which is using uh, uh, the social media and the Twitter um, uh, 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 properties of, of the Internet to, to express what their knowledge to to convey their knowledge to the public at large and and that makes it a much much wider uh, canvas on which people are working okay and philip devet i'll give you the final thought, final word there yeah well i sort of shutting down yeah such as twitter or trying to ban a newspaper is always going to be a failure that's that's you're not going to see long-term success in that and, and frankly, other than making our lives in the media difficult, it doesn't have that much impact. However, shutting down sources of information, introducing a secrecy act, uh, which makes it very difficult for journalists to do their job, um, refusing to honor requests, uh, legal uh, requests for information, um, not providing information to the Office of the Public Protector. I think that is where the real danger lies, and, and that's what we need to be very careful of in South Africa. Okay, let's leave it at that. Uh, some other comments. Uh, Zimmerians saying generally South African media serves public interest. They're not enemy of the state. We have unfortunate situations with the SABC is the ANC servant, according to that particular uh, tweet. And then uh, Chief Mishlangu saying um, media is very biased and extremely, even SABC funded by my tax money shows less EFF events. Well, I suggest strongly you listen to what we're talking about next. Let's end by saying uh, whether the media is a friend or the enemy of the state. A uh, very important one, I think, in the light of what's just happened now and in Turkey and many other countries. I think uh, whether it's the state or government certainly needs to respect the media because the media plays a hugely important, critical role in being a watchdog of the country that we all live in. So, ICASA and the SABC, amongst other things, in terms of the rules regarding coverage of the upcoming election. Do you know there are rules? Do you know what you can and what you, can, what you cannot do? What we, in fact, can and can't do? We're going to get the answers right after this.